My name is Jeffrey Sidoris, and this is Process Driven. In this episode, I'm sitting down with photographer and photography instructor Carl Taylor, who I was introduced to in 2010 or 2011 when a friend gave me one of his training DVDs. And what struck me straight away was Carl's energy and enthusiasm for photography, along with an incredible knowledge of how to make great pictures in virtually any situation. And these two things really set him as my benchmark, if you will, of what photographic training should be. He also has this brilliant way of bringing almost a fashion style and sensibility to his commercial and product photography. Carl lives in the Channel Islands between England and France, and when he came to California in 2012 for a production, I got the chance to spend some time with him and his team in Long Beach and Joshua Tree where they were filming, and we've been friends ever since. In this conversation, Carl and I discussed the business side of creativity, and I began by asking him to talk about how some of the changes in the industry nearly forced him to close the doors of his studio earlier this year. Here's my conversation with Carl Taylor. Please listen carefully. Um, well, that's an interesting question. Well, let's start where it started, first of all. Um, We started, I've been been a commercial photographer for more than 25, going on 25 years. We started the training side of the business, and I say we because I've got a couple of business partners that you've met already. sure. Um, And we started the training business in 2008. Mm-hmm. And I did this because I'm, as well as a photographer, I consider myself a businessman. And, and this is something we might speak about a little bit later, but um, often photographers are not always the best businessmen. But I do like to think of myself as a businessman and, and, and taking risk and making business decisions and, and making sure my business makes a profit. And back in 2008, when there was this upsurge in digital photography, I realized there was going to be a downsurge in commercial photography off the back of this uh, because I saw the um, industry or or the interest in photography growing amongst the public. I mean, photography had always been popular as a a hobby or a pastime, but it was surging dramatically because of digital, because it became more accessible. Sure. Now, primarily at an enthusiast level or or did that, did that, extend into the pro market as well were there were there more pro photographers coming in no no i was quite reluctant to go digital at first Mm -hmm. you know when i I, it it was only when when the hasselblad h1 came around and i actually finally saw digital reach a milestone in quality that i actually accepted it you know i i'm from a five by four inch uh film background and six by seven Mm -hmm. uh, film background and and was shooting that for, for years um, but I saw these 35 mil digital cameras coming on the market and realized that, you know, the, the, the interest in digital photography was going to rocket, which it did. And I thought off the back of that, it's going to affect the commercial market because there was a lot of the commercial market, which is what you call natural lifestyle photography or wedding photography. I mean, I'm not a wedding photographer, but, you know, areas of photography where you don't necessarily need a studio, where you're shooting outdoors or you're shooting lifestyle, or you're shooting on location. And I thought 
eventually this is going to water down into some of that commercial sector and there's going to be a lot of people wanting to shoot pictures and then they're going to want to get paid for some of them because mm -hmm. that gives them a feeling of credibility. Sure. Uh, so I kind of, as a businessman, I guess just saw this as happening, potentially happening. And I was getting so many more questions come into the studio about, oh, you know, you know, we know you as a photographer. Oh, it'd be great if you could do some teaching and, we, you know, I'd love to learn. And so I thought, you know what, let's, let's give this a try. So I ran a couple of workshops. They were really successful, so much so that I, I just, you know, there were people, more people wanted to do them than I could, could offer. So I thought there's something in this. And I approached uh, these two guys that are my business partners now who had a media company filming, web, uh, television stuff, video production. Uh, and I said, look, I've got an idea for starting a series of photography training. Uh, I want to find a way of getting it out there to the masses because I think there's something in this. And we were looking at what was out there at the time and there wasn't a great deal of stuff out there. And we came up with the idea of producing them on DVD uh, and potentially online. And we looked at the competition and everything we could find out of the US or anywhere else for that matter was some guy stood in front of a screen saying, here's a shot I took five years ago and this is how I did it. Right. And there was no energy. It was very boring. It was very formulated. And there was no evidence that what he was saying was actually true. Mm -hmm. So I said, let's rip this apart. I said, let's go out like a documentary film crew, yeah. you filming over my shoulder and me turning around and talking to you and telling you what I'm doing. And let's let people see it happening live. Well, not live, but as if it was live because it's a, like a documentary stuff. Sure. Let's prove to people that you can take a picture like this if you do this, this, and this. Let's teach them the, the, the theory of uh, understanding photography in components. You know, I break photography down into those six key things, you know, to do with time, subject, um, light, um, the, the, the aperture, um, and, you know, breaking it down into these six related uh, points in photography that allows you to, to, to link anything in photography back to those six points. Right. That was my formula. That was our basis for our training. And we, we set about, uh, to cut a long story short, we set about filming, we set about creating a series of programs. And we got in at the right place at the right time. And with my energy as a presenter and the knowledge that I uh, had as a photographer, as a working photographer, I guess we just hit the mark. At the, you know, well, we're and, a little bit to be fair, they were brilliant. They still are. Thank you. Um, you know, I mean, that, that was that feeling of of being out there with you and and seeing, you know, the very real uh, results of it, good or bad, success mm. or fail. You know, we we feel as a viewer that we're out there learning while this is sort of happening rather than, as you said, being kind of stuck and going, well, here's something I took. Here's what you can yeah. get. So so that expanded into not one, two, three DVDs. That expanded into 10, 11 different courses. Now it's more than that. Now, obviously, we've moved away from DVD. Now, you mentioned just there about the difficulties that the business face. Uh, and, and this is very true because, um, you know, we are now on our fourth or I'm now on my fourth studio, a 4,000 square foot monster of a studio where we've spent an absolute fortune in investment in this place. And this transition 
what happened with the, the photography training market was that there was this huge upsurge in interest in photography, which has now plateaued and gone down a little bit. But then every Tom, Dick and Harry jumped on that bandwagon, you know, with all the different um, other training providers started popping up. Lots of little small ones started popping up, popping up, offering online courses. Many of them, in my opinion, with no real credibility, no background as real photographers, no, no, you know. But the problem is if you're new to photography and you're learning photography, you don't know who's credible and who isn't. So sure. all of this started to eat into our business somewhat, plus uh, our, our retail element of our business because we were selling dvds and retail around the world as well that was affected in the downturn of dvds because mm -hmm. dvds just became less and less popular in that so transition we, to streaming exactly so yeah, we then yeah. had to switch everything to streaming to online we had to invest a lot more money back into the website and the business we also realized that we couldn't function from our existing studio if we wanted to move forwards with the developments in streaming, in live broadcast, in uh, workshops, in you know premium bespoke workshops, and also our ability to film new products, new training, and continue as a commercial photographer. Because this is the other thing that a lot of people forget. Is I also spend fifty percent of my time working as a commercial photographer, and I, in 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 that respect, I had a, stu a studio where we were trying to operate training and film training from mm -hmm. but then i'd get a commercial job in that would interrupt that so so we needed a studio that had two shooting areas right where so I you could, could keep both things set up i could keep both yeah. things set up and keep yeah. things going now this all required a huge amount of reinvestment into the business and the business had done phenomenally well not to uh, mention i mean your production costs had to be astronomical because astronomical. the quality was there yeah, I mean, you know, when we went to Iceland to film Fashionscape, when you're taking a model, makeup artist, a crew of uh, four or five of you, renting Land Rovers, having to pay for hotels, mm -hmm. this is an extremely expensive production. Um, and again, with all of the, the, the products that we've produced, we, we not only want them to be very educational, but we want them to be very entertaining. You know, this is this is our ethos, is education and entertainment, because sure. it helps helps you learn. And all of these, these, these costs, uh, although the business was doing very well, it was this transitional period from the DVD world to the online world to moving to a new studio. We basically made the decision to move to the new studio, even though we knew things were going to be tough and very tough, because if we hadn't made the move to this new studio, it would have been tougher. Mm -hmm. It would have possibly collapsed. So we had to move to this new studio to reinvent and reinvest in the business to open up new revenue streams, mm -hmm. which which are some of the things we are launching uh, this year, uh, and and also allowed us to do things with the with the workshop. And remember, we're not you know we're not like a huge company. Uh, we are just a small team of six people. Sure. And and you know with that, obviously you you do have overhead staff overheads, and we had to. Invest a huge amount of money into this uh, new studio. So, yeah, the period you're talking about was a little bit touch and go because we had this crossover period uh, with the business of having to reinvest, but during a downturn in DVD uh, sales and a transition into an online world and trying to find our feet again um, there. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, uh, again, from a business perspective, uh, I and the team, uh, my directors, we made the right decision. We took a risk and the risk is 
is paying off. Sure. Uh, and and this is again going back to the business side of things of photography. This is I come across this time and time again with other photographers is they do not give enough precedent to the business side often. Um, you know, being a good photographer is one thing, but you 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 need to be business savvy at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know, it, it's one of the things that I've I've always tried to pay attention to uh, as a photographer. You know, I say I've been operating as a photographer for for many many years now, um, but I also try to consider what will be a successful business because at the end of the day I love photography it is a passion of mine it always has been but if it doesn't provide me and my staff and directors uh with the right income then I may as well just go and get a job right 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 <laughs> is, is it fair to say that that had you not moved to the studio to the new studio had you not taken that chance it sounds like you're saying one of those sides of the businesses either the training or the commercial side would have had to go away. Um, yeah, it might have. I mean, I, there was a point where I was considering going back to just the commercial photography, mm-hmm. but the the other side of that was the fact that I really enjoyed the training side mm-hmm. of the business. Mm-hmm. The, but and it's the, obvious if you've seen any yeah. of it. Yeah. It, it, thank you. It's 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 something that grew unexpectedly. Right. And what it allowed me to do was I actually think it allowed me to be more creative because, you know, I'm 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 what I'm what you would call a mid to high level commercial photographer in that I shoot advertising photography images for some big blue chip companies that are published globally, but I don't shoot for Gucci. I don't shoot for Burberry. I mean, I've shot some Karl Lagerfeld ads and boss adverts and different things. I specialize in, in uh, optics, glasses, eyewear, sunglasses, uh, some cosmetics, some alcohol, liquids, that sort of stuff. But, you know, I shoot mid to high level commercial stuff. I'm not like, you know, the very top end, like ranking or, or some of these guys that are shooting, you know, the big stuff. So, you know, but you're showing sh- what's interesting though, is you're showing people how to get, the results of those big guys. Yeah, absolutely. Because I'm perfectly capable of doing it. It's just yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not based in London. You know, I, I, I don't want to live in London, so I'm not based in the big smoke. I mean, I work in London uh, now and again, but I'm not based there. So it's more difficult to break into that world if you are not in those cities or if you're not represented by an agent. And I have um, worked on some big campaign stuff before, don't get me wrong, but I've never really pushed or strived to do more than that with it because mm-hmm. where I'm based and where I live is very safe for my family. It's the lifestyle. You know, I love the ocean. I live on this small island in Guernsey in the Channel Islands. And it by doing the business that I had and doing the training, I've got a good business that provides myself, my partners, my um staff and, um, you know, my family, um, with, uh, you know, a lifestyle that I can enjoy doing photography. And and as I said, with the training, it allowed me to be more creative. It allowed me to do the shoots that I wanted to do that I wasn't doing as a commercial photographer, because quite often you can be doing some quite boring shoots. You can be shooting, uh, simple products or pack shots or stuff that generally is not that inspiring, 
Um, so with the training, it was like, hey, what do you want to shoot? Right. Well, we'll shoot whatever we want. Um, let's shoot. Let's let's shoot a fashion shoot in Iceland. Let's shoot um, some crazy exploding liquid shoot. Let's shoot some professional product adverts to show how they're done. Let's shoot um, portraiture. Let's shoot. You know. Let's do landscapes. Let's go out and do city street. So we were able to say, you know, we want to make a training course about this style of photography, this genre. So let's go and do it. Sure. Uh, and well, and while, I, would, I would imagine that that led to some different commercial work as well, because people were seeing clients, were seeing a different side of your work than they had maybe seen before. Yeah. Yes, a little bit, a little bit. I mean, there has been um, some additional commercial work that's coming off the back of the recognition, because as you said, you saw, you started to see us everywhere. We started in 2008. So by around 2010 or 11, when you first started to see us, we had already started to, to penetrate that training market, yeah. started to appear on YouTube a lot. Our YouTube tra- channel grew quite significantly. We've got one of the biggest YouTube channels now, I believe, in, in the photography market. Um, so, so yeah, we were getting out Which there. is sort of a blessing and a curse, which yes. we'll get to. <laughs> yeah, it, it is a little bit. Um, but, yeah, so, so, yeah, so more people started seeing us, um, and that did generate uh, more inquiries from, from some commercial um, corners, if you like, mm-hmm. uh, but not significantly so. Um, you know, I think as well you've got to keep in mind that the people that – read the photography blogs and look at this stuff they're they're amateur photographers that's not really the business sector that are looking to pay for or employ photographers so the audience is different mm-hmm. but like you said there was there, there was there was some uh, businesses or companies that, that that have got directors that are interested in photography that came across us that then approached us for um commercial shoots yes why is photography so it feels so different than other industries in in that there are there are the people that that are really focused on the art end of it why they take photographs and then there are, there's the other sector that's that's really more focused on the gear aspects and the tools and it's it's such a sharp divide or it can be such a sharp divide why is photography so unique in that respect or is it unique in that respect uh is it unique in that respect is that the first question um we'll come back to is it unique why is it like that i think it's because photography is obviously very gear orientated so that attracts if you like the ones that are just focused on the gear the technology the gadgets etc mm-hmm. uh, but aren't necessarily as artistically skilled but not to say they can't learn but um you know aren't as artistically skilled and then you've got those that are more involved in it uh, on a purer art based level um and you know there is that sort of separation as 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 you say um it's a tricky one to answer one of the things I have found since I've been doing this is that there is too much focus on gear and kit and uh, everything else. You know, we, I believe we take some very good images and very uh, captivating dynamic photos. Um, and yet sometimes we get accused by the 
nerd audience, if you like, uh, to some extent. Of, uh, of no offense. Only, <laughs> well, no, no, not all of them, but we get, we get, you know, you, you get accused by some of them. Oh, you, you, you shot that. You got to shoot that picture because you got a Hasselblad, and because you're using bronze color lighting or right, this sort right. of thing. And and you know, it's interesting because I've just shot a whole new series of pictures. I sent you some actually that I shot on some of them on a Canon 5D and with just with natural light mm-hmm. um, because I wanted to go back to basics to say, well, hold on, you know. Here's how you can shoot if you know how to 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 source the right background. Mm-hmm. If you know how to look at light and study light, and this is the the, the most important element of photography is is light. You know, understanding light and the emotional influence of light on your image. That is the key to understanding photography. And therefore, you could take an incredibly stunning picture on an iPhone if necessary, Mm -hmm. if you know how to find the light and use the light. Now, obviously the great equipment helps because I can make my own light. Sure. The bronze color lighting. I can make any type of light. I can create whatever I want. And then obviously the resolution and the tonality of the Hasselblad helps me, but I'd been using high resolution, expensive cameras, even when I was using film cameras, you know, Mm -hmm. that's, commercial photography you need those because they are tools to do the job but they are not the be all and end all of making a great picture you know i can did you ever get to that point where you're like hold on maybe i do need these things and or did you ever question your ability to to make great pictures without them without the 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 5d or without the bronze color well i you know i mean to me a 5d is a basic camera to be honest, mm-hmm. uh, now that might sound uh, a little bit uh, arrogant to some. I'm people. sorry, I, I miss. I, I meant the H5. I'm sorry. Okay, the H5. Right. Yeah. Sorry um, about that. Yeah. No, I. I no, never. I've not doubted my ability to be able to shoot with any uh, camera if you can show me how to put it into manual mode because I only shoot in manual mode um, and and wheel the shutter speed and the aperture. Um, the disadvantage of the 35 mil stuff is the s- slower sync speed for flash sync, because I, I shoot a lot of f- the fashion work and stuff I shoot outdoors. I like to underexpose the mm-hmm. ambient scene and, and by having a high flash sync speed means I can do that more easily. But in, in our training, I showed people how to do that, how to, to, to find a workaround that using ND filters. Sure. So I can find a way of doing it because I understand the physics of photography. And I'm very focused on that science element of photography, the mix of physics, the mix of art, combining those to find a solution. You know, most of what I do in my commercial work is about finding a solution for a client and and making it happen. So, no, I've always been confident that I can make a picture on a 5D or an Olympus OM3 or an old film camera. And I could do that with natural light and a laster light reflector, which is one of the reasons I... um, recently in the process of filming this natural light photography course where we are going back to basics and saying, look, it's not about the gear. It's Mm -hmm. not about having all the lights. It's about vision. You know, it's about seeing when the light is going to be right or finding the location where the light will work for you. It's knowing what to look for, how to interpret it, understanding you know, how light interacts with objects, surfaces from the front, from the side, from the back, hard light, soft light, mixtures of the both. Um, and then obviously introducing composition, uh, human emotional response, color, um, 
you know, colors that juxtapose each other, all of those things. It's understanding all of that that makes a captivating, dynamic photograph. And, you know, I've always tried with my work, even, you know, with the studio stuff as well, is, 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 it's quite simple in many ways. I, I aim for simplicity in a lot of my pictures, clarity through simplicity. And um, that's the sort of style that I've got, you know. But no, I never questioned my ability to be able to do it on without the Hasselblad. But I shoot with the Hasselblad because it is the best camera for what I do. Mm-hmm. I would I would disagree with you on simplicity. I've seen the behind the scenes uh, videos, of some of the shoots. <laughs> They're anything okay. but simple. All right. Yeah. Sorry. They might be sim- They might not be simple from the behind the scenes what i'm talking about is the resulting image yeah sure sure so sure. i don't like to over clutter my images mm-hmm. one of the types of photography that became very popular and largely followed was this sort of fantasy style composites of you know in woodlands with strange heads and creatures and you know fairyland stuff going on and a hundred thousand things going on in a photo and a, a lot of it is really beautiful art in my opinion, but that's what it is. It's art because it's all composite. It's all cut out this and paste it in this and do this bit of Photoshop work and then mix this. And so it's art, it's compositing. It's not true photography in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And it's not the direction I like to take. When I say simplicity, I mean, I want my image to remain looking like it was taken as a photograph because it was that, you know, is there a hard line for you when it, when a photograph ceases to become or it ceases to be a photograph or, or is it, is it more nebulous and you only know it when you see it? Are there qualifications that you can, that you can either pull back from when you feel yourself getting, getting close to? I don't, I very rarely composite, mm-hmm. you know, not in my own personal work or art or training work. Um, very rarely. I mean, if you take, for example, the image of the basketball that I've got with the paint hitting it from both sides. Right. Right. Now that is, two images admittedly put together because it was impossible to get the liquid to jet in from both sides like that. So the liquid had to fall from above. But each side of that image, the left side and the right side is exactly what happened and is exactly what was captured in camera. The actual items that you see and the interaction of the liquid with the object or or you take the recent, um, the Hasselblad H6, uh, shoot with the the tins hitting right those tins hit together in the air and those splashes came out of those tins at that particular place at that particular time at that moment and that's how it was captured and those images had absolutely minimal retouching mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they're not composited in that we're not cutting out one tin and moving it we only composited what actually happened where it happened so if for example they're, they're like layered images Sure, sure, sure. If you can rub through the empty space on the top right, because nothing happened in the top right on the first shot, but then something crashed together in the top right on that shot, then I can blend those two together. But what you're seeing in one space in time happened there as it did in the other one, and nothing else has changed because the camera is in a fixed position, the lighting's in a fixed position, the background's in a fixed position. So actually what you're seeing in the photo still happened That's the difference. You see, what I shoot physically happens. Okay, even when you take, for example, the girl jumping in the air 
in the volcanic uh, background in the red dress where she almost looks like she's being pulled up to, to, to the heavens. Sure. You know, I, I didn't cut her out and stick her there. We put her on a trampoline <laughs> right. Right, 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 right. and made her jump in the air and shot her in the air at that position, okay? So, you know, I try to do everything I can to capture it in camera if possible. But as I said, sometimes the commercial requirements of a commercial shoot, the client needs something to happen that is physically impossible. Mm-hmm. And if it's physically impossible and it's not achievable in, in camera, then obviously you do have to in, introduce a load of uh, composite uh, or, or some composite work. But wherever I can, I will try to accomplish as much as I can in camera because I, I believe that the end result looks more realistic and sure. believable. And sure. this goes back to what I said about clarity and simplicity. I believe the people that follow my work and appreciate my work, they appreciate it for those reasons because of the simplicity of your ability to digest it, because it looks believable. Mm-hmm. It is believable. It did actually happen. So therefore it is a photograph. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But don't get me wrong. I look at a lot of amazing work by photographers um, who do composite and they create some amazing artwork right. that I can appreciate and I can uh, admire, but I don't consider that photography in the same way uh, of a more, more purist form of how I consider the, photogra- the, the photography that I do and the, the, the method I follow to create the images I create. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a great segue. I mean, you, you, you got brought in for your concept on that Hasselblad shoot, which looked fantastic. And I'll link to the, the behind the scenes video, but what were some of the considerations going into that? I mean, did you know exactly what you wanted to do? Did this come off of the, 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 the paints series with, with the basketball and with the model or no, what I mean, went I, into it? No, I've, I'm, I've had a great relationship with Hasselblad for many years. Cause I was one of the early adopters of the technology. I started with the Hasselblad H1 12 years ago when it actually had the 22 megapixel Imacon back. Mm-hmm. Then Hasselblad merged with Imacon. Um, and you know, I've been working with them cl- quite closely for several years. They'd seen some of my work and published some of my images. And then we had a closer relationship. Then they saw the success of, that we had with the training and the reach that we had the audience. And they also saw that in a lot of the stuff I was shooting with Asblad. So it made sense for them to say, you know, build a closer relationship with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, so, you know, I've developed this relationship where I've, um, worked for them, doing some of their training videos and, and, and um, photo shoots. We shot the photo Kina campaign for them last time, the fashion images, you know, the sci-fi model stuff, right. which was a big success. You and were part of their, their booth at photo Kina, weren't you? Yeah, we were, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. but we shot, you know, so we shot those campaign images f- for them and they were very pleased with that. And then I, I was, you know, I knew about the H6 quite early on. Um, and, you know, knew about the, the, the specifics of it and what it was going to be, et cetera. And then I was invited over to Sweden to look at it and, um, you know, understand it a little bit more and talk about, um, you know, coming up with a photo shoot to present the camera for its launch. Mm-hmm. Um, myself and another photographer, Tom Oldham, um, was, was chosen. And um, we're still on the Hasselblad website for the H6 now, I think, on there. But the, the basically, they, they said, right, what, what can we do? We want to 
come up with something engaging. We want to come up with something that demonstrates the capabilities of this camera. Uh, and, you know, what can we do? So I looked at the camera and one of the most obvious features, things about it when I saw it was this new gold orange colored button that it had for the shutter button, uh, for the uh, exposure button, which was sort of shocked me at first. I was a bit like, oh, not quite sure about that. <laughs> and then they said, no, we're rolling with this. So I said, okay. Um, so I said, let, let, let's think of stuff. And then we started talking about liquids, a uh, meeting with um, Perry Oosting, the, the, the CEO, and um, you know some of the marketing team there. And they've obviously seen my liquids work and like the liquids work. And I said, okay, well, let's, let's see. What about, what about using the new colors of the Hasselblad, the silvers, the blacks, and the gold, the orangey gold, and bringing those together in some sort of explosive dynamic liquid shoot that would entertain an audience, be captivating, but it had to also be captivating on video. Mm-hmm. Because we we were tasked with not only doing a, a shoot for them and creating um, you know some engaging images, but you know also creating that liquid number six for them in, right. in the same order. Which is such a cool shot. Thank you. <laughs> I uh, want to know how many actually, times it took to get it that took right. A lot. So that shot actually <laughs> that shot is two shots. Okay, mm-hmm. so there's two shots. We couldn't make that six in one sweep, so it's made in two sections. But um, you know, so we came up with the concept. We sat down with them. We had some back and forth, and then and they said, "Yeah, go with it." You guys do what you want, you know. So we had no art director, we had nothing, and um, and it was it, video from the beginning. It wasn't just print, right? It was always going to be video mm-hmm. uh, and final images, so they could use the final images as well. But it was, you know, mostly to show the camera in action, to show it in use, and evidence of the results. So I sat down with Tim and Ben here, the guys in in our team. And we we storyboarded this thing out, and I said, "Look, you know, we got, we got to talk about this camera." I already knew what all the features were and what the benefits were, and played with it, and, and what I loved about it, and what I was going to talk about. So we had to say, "Right, how can we get this across in a story? How can we get it across in a, in a way that is engaging?" So we've got these ski ramps that we've used. Um, previously for some smashing whiskey glasses together. Mm-hmm. So we said, let's modify these things so that we can send these tins of paint down them because the tins of paint were heavier. So we had to extend the ski ramps higher. So again, this all goes back to physics. It goes back to testing. We, we put the tins down with uh, water in. We got the distances set. We worked out the collision points. We uh, used the myops trigger to uh, for the sound activation. Uh, but it was days of planning and testing the tins and liquids and water before we even considered moving on to the paint. Mm-hmm. And then the viscosity of paint is very different to water and how that reacts with the light is very different. It's not transparent. All these things to consider. But again, I pre-visualized the shoot. You know, I very carefully selected the colors, even of the background, to juxtapose the decided colors of the paint because we knew we were going to use the Hasselblad uh, orange Mm-hmm. We knew we were going to use the Hasselblad, the black and the silver and the gray, because those were the colors of the H6 camera. So that was going to be the color. So basically the orange represented the new shutter button color, the black for the black parts of the body, the silver, bluey, the bluey silver for the new blue silver parts. And then the, the silver tins to represent the, the silver chrome trim on the new digital back. Sure. 
So the, the strongest part of the concept for me was this orange. The orange was the most vibrant and it was the one thing on the camera that stood out the most to me when I physically saw it. It was the thing that made me go, oh, that's new. Right. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. so, so I had to take this on board and, and, and roll with that. So I knew the orange was going to be the key color in this. So then using, you know, using science and the theory of color, I looked at the color charts and I found the perfect blue that was the exact opposite of that orange. Yeah. That compliment. Uh, sure. Exactly. And, and, you know, that wasn't an accident. I basically sat down with the paint colors and the Pantone books and matched them up. And then you, you, you know, using, um, you know, the, the color programs that you can use. Um, I then adjusted and tweaked and f- f- got it to a point where, right, this is the blue. Mm-hmm. And then took that blue down to the hardware store and had them mix that blue paint for us, and we painted the entire or one of the one of the back walls of the cove. We painted in that blue, so that that blue was the blue background behind every single shot. Um, so all of it is again, it's that planning and pre-visualization. You know, three days of testing water tins, the lighting, how much uh, light falls on the tin, even the type of tin. I ordered three different samples of tin types before we decided on the one we wanted based on how frosted the metal was. Hmm. Um, Things like that, the shape of the tin, the look of the tin, the lid of the tin, then the paint itself, the colors of the paint, then what color is it when we water it down? You know, because watered down paint loses a little Loses the chroma. Yeah, sure. Exactly. And then which paints were going to be what viscosity, you know, did we want it to fly out like water or did we want it to look a bit more gloopy? So all of this stuff was just the beginnings of the photo shoot. And then all it, then, then it's basically down to the physics. It's like make those three or four tins collide at right. point X. Yeah. So you're you you're can, setting up the playground and then winding the clock, if you will, and letting exactly. it go. Yeah. And then let it go. And then what happens is down to chance. Mm-hmm. How the liquid comes out and how they exactly smash together is chance. You know, that's chaos theory. But the actual theory of making them hit at point X and the flash duration of one ten thousandth from the, the, the bronze color and, and you know, the, the, the Hasselblad, the choice of focal length of lens, the choice of lighting on the background, on the tins, Everything else is planned, pre-visualized, and then it's just a case of release 200 attempts of tins. <laughs> right. Well, we had 400 tins. Wow. And we let usually four at a time down the ramps to collide because mm-hmm. we had three ramps and we could let two together down each ramp. So sometimes we tried six, which made too much mess, and then sometimes we found three or four was the best number. So... We had, I think we did it about 120 times, Wow! you know, wow. and out of that 120 times, we had uh, 40 to 50 amazing results. And out of the 40 to 50, we had 10 spectacular ones. And, and then, so what did you deliver out, out of all of this setup, out of all of this planning, previs, what did you deliver? How many images did you deliver to Hasselblad? Um, four... Um, no, five, three, wow. th- three landscape ones and two vertical ones. Oh, and plus the number six one, the number six. Wow. wow. So, so half a dozen images, half a dozen images for ballpark. How many hours of, of two weeks. labor start to finish? Two weeks, two weeks. 
Perhaps at least, dozen images. Yeah. Well, the, you know, starting with the concept meeting in Sweden and then moving on, following on from that, and then the testing and then the, the setup and having to paint the code of the studio, protect the studio floor with plastic, the cleanup operation of all the tins of paint, the liquids, the, you know, the shooting, not, and, and the video production. We did the video. We filmed mm-hmm. the video, we edited the video, we presented the video, you know, that the, the post-production on the video, all the slow motion work that we did on, you know, to, to the, you know, to get the story right and everything else. Right. That, that was all part of the package to deliver that to Hasselblad as well as the images. You know, actually the video was probably more important in many ways than the images because this is the storytelling part that had to be introduced and, and uh, become part of the H6 launch. So, right, uh, right. So yeah, there is was- there is narrative here too, and that's that's something I think that that can get overlooked in in commercial or product photography. That you're still looking for a through line to tie all of this together. It's well, not just making pretty pictures. No, it's not just making pretty pictures. And um, you know, sometimes you get criticised as a commercial photographer for the lack of art in it, if you like, or the mm-hmm. the, the lower level of artistic. Um, not ability, but, you know, artistic interpretation or, you know, artistic um, appreciation, if you like. Sure. But actually, you know, the concept for that shoot, it, it required thought and process about the color schemes of the camera and how that would work and interplay with the light and the, the images and the dynamics of the image and what would be visually engaging. So all of that is artistic if you look at it that way. But a lot of it, as you know, with my work is also revolving around science mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. you're going to make those things happen, how you're going to problem solve. Um, and that's what I love the most about, you know, photography is that, uh, you know, that tr- trying to solve those problems and make it happen and make it happen. So it looks like a photograph um, and it is a photograph, you know, and you, as I say, if you look at those images, you don't look at those things pictures and think oh that's all been computer simulated or that's all cut out composite work you look at those images and you say you know those splashes are real because you can see different paints going through other paints you only have to watch the video itself to actually see the moment that the flashes fire and you can see in the video the same image that actually is in the final prints so you know the evidence is there that it's real photography is what what's more satisfying for you coming up with your own concept or executing a brief from a client is is there is there a difference in how you approach them or is there a different level of satisfaction of of final image when you when you nail one versus another it depends on the brief <laughs> i mean some <laughs> briefs are so appalling that <laughs> nailing it is that satisfying um, <laughs> no i i mean if you get a really good brief from an agency or a client and and it's a complex one and it takes you a lot of work or you, you know it's going to take a lot of work to to produce the the result and 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 give them something that um you know, meets their vision, that is very satisfying because again, mm-hmm. it's about problem solving. It's finding a solution. And um, that's the, the physics of it that I enjoy undertaking and trying to overcome to, to get the result. But then the, equally, there's also something very satisfying about coming up with completely your own concept of image, which is what I often do, or I'm allowed to do for the training side, because, you know, 99% of advertising photographers will tell you that all these beautiful, amazing images they create, they're not their concepts. They're just doing what an art director has sketched out and asked them to do. 
Hmm. Um, you know, on, on the stuff we did recently for Hasselblad for the H6 launch, luckily I was given complete creative freedom to come up with whatever I wanted to achieve an engaging series of images for the launch uh, and an engaging video. And because I like working with liquids and, 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 and um, you know, color uh, and because, you know, we, we already knew in advance, having been involved with H6, that there was going to be this orange element to it. Um, I, I said, right, what about this? Let's let's do this. They said, go for it. You know, so you know, it's, it is satisfying when you can do the concept yourself, or like with Fashionscape, with, with the Iceland fashion stuff. Yeah, it's immensely satisfying when you come up with a concept, you sketch it out. I always pre-visualize my images. I always sketch them down on a you know an, a, an A4 size pad, and I'm, I draw the image out. I do a, a rough layout of the composition of what I want in the image, where the light's going to come from. And, and nine times out of 10, I match that very accurately in the mm. final piece. So I pre-visualize the image in my mind. I've got a good idea of the emotional uh, content or aspect of the light and the, the look and the feel and the mood or uh, how, how I want that image to, to, to sort of, um, you, know, to, you know, to feel to me. Uh, and I sketch that down. And then I plan it, research it, and then execute it. Right. How how rare is the situation with Hasselblad where you were given virtually complete creative control? How rare is that now with commercial clients? And, and how has that changed over time from early on in your career? It's always been rare. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even from when I was, you know, 20 years ago on 5 by 4 that because there's a lot of people that lament, oh, gosh, you, photographers used to be able to do it their way all the time. And it, it, it sounds like that's very, I don't it think depends that. on who you talk it's, to. It's, yeah, it's who you talk, I mean, from my perspective, anyway, working with, um, you know, advertising agencies or even with clients that have got their own in-house marketing teams, you're always following direction. Hmm. You're always following a brief because these people are not stupid. You know, as an advertising photographer or commercial photographer, you're shooting uh, a service or a product that they want to sell. Sure. Now, if they want to sell it, they want to make sure that they reach the target market. So they don't do that lightly. They investigate the target market. They do market research. They find out what age group, what demographic, what these people are going to respond to, what type of imagery will they react to, will they engage with. They, 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 they take all of that information, or, or the good ones do, and then they turn that into a concept. You know, they don't just go, "Oh, what should we come up with?" Or let's 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 just let's have a, an umbrella flying through the air and Mary Poppins hanging upside down. You know, it, 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 you know it's not that random. It's 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 based on research, and that research then dictates the concept, mm -hmm. and then they come to you with the concept and they say, "We need this executed, and we need it to look like this," and you can. What I do with them is I say, okay, I'd like to know a little bit more. I want to understand the target audience. I'm interested because it, from a business perspective, I find it interesting anyway. Sure. Um, but you don't – very rarely do you get a client that gives you complete creative control over the look and the feel. And sometimes actually even if they do, that's a bit daunting because you can produce a beautiful set of images. But if they don't work because their target audience – didn't react to them and didn't mm -hmm, then mm -hmm. didn't then cause them to purchase the product, 
they could have been beautiful images that just didn't hit the mark from right. a sales perspective. That actually shines on you badly as a photographer because then you get the blame and the client thinks you took bad photos when actually they were beautiful photos, but they just weren't hitting the target audience. Yeah, they weren't the right photos. Exactly. So, Are you so involved in any sort of postmortems after the fact to see how well your concepts? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, a couple of the clients that I work with regularly, because this is one of, one of the things with, uh, I'm fortunate with that I, I've been in business for so long that I've got um, some base clients that I work with regularly that trust me to do a good job. Uh, so often I'm talking to them about the, the campaign we shot a month ago and how that's gone down or, you know, the, the results from that. So it, yeah, it is good to hear that feedback. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would imagine it's, it's helpful not only on, on that particular campaign, but it allows you some more insight moving forward on other campaigns to know what works or what doesn't work because some of the work that you do is so, is so closely related to one another. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it is. And, 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 you know, don't get me wrong. I have shot stuff for campaign stuff for, for art directors where they uh, we've matched the brief perfectly and then the campaign has failed. Mm -hmm. But fortunately you don't get the blame for that because you match the brief perfectly, you know? Right. Um, so the art director or the research people get the blame for that. Um, but no, generally speaking, if we go back to your question, no, I, I, 95% of the time you are working to someone else's uh, idea. But fortunately, with the training side of the business, which is now accounts for, you know, half of my time is spent shooting commercial, half of my time is spent on the training side of the business. The training side of the business allows me the creative freedom to shoot whatever the hell I want. Right. Um, and uh, allows me to come up with some crazy concepts. And it actually encouraged me to do more photography and get more excited about photography again, rather than just going through the motions of being a commercial photographer and shooting general commercial stuff. Um, and, and then, yeah, now and again, you know, when, you know, Hasselblad, uh, who I'm an ambassador for, but they're also a client of mine, um, you know, now and again, you get to shoot something where they are a photography company and they do trust you as a photographer. and those ones, great. They did give you a creative, uh, did give me creative freedom. Mm -hmm. It seems now photography as a single revenue stream is near impossible. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I mean, you take even top level, the, you know, the most famous photographers in the world, like Steve McCurry, who I, you know, hero of mine, fortunately I, I got to meet him once and had a chat with him. Um, he, you know, he, he's as famous as any photographer's name you could throw out there. And, um, you know, even he's run, runs workshops and, sure. uh, you know, has got other revenue streams and, you know, he's recently shot the Pirelli calendar and he's done some advertising fashion type photography. Um, I think he did it with the Masai Mara, uh, in, in Africa, this, this fashion shoot campaign. I actually thought the images were really good and I thought his Pirelli calendar stuff was fantastic as well. Um, but, you know, you know, he, he's diversified revenue streams. You know, Rankin has always been a, what I consider a brilliant businessman. Mm -hmm. He's got, he's got the hunger magazine. He's oh, got, he's got dazed. Yeah. Dazed, he's All got, of his own books. He's got, yeah. He's yeah. got the, he's got a production company for video and sure. for, hunger uh, TV. Uh, and yeah. an, ad, an ad agency uh, as well. I think it's called the full service or something. He's done countless books. You know, this guy is a businessman mm -hmm. and, and, and he's got multiple revenue streams. Um, so, you know, yes, I think that they do. I think that 
um, many photographers have had to consider other revenue streams and whether it's, you know, um, whether they sell fine artwork or um, whether they publish books or whether they shoot commercial or do both. There are the most photographers now, I think you will see they're not, they don't just make revenue from one thing alone. Now, obviously sure. there are a few exceptions, but maybe those photographers are struggling more than the ones that have adapted. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, I don't know the financial status of some of the photographers that purely operate on that one set thing. What I can tell you from the ones that I do know that are, that are sort of colleagues or friends of mine is that they're not working very often. Hmm. You know, and, and what does that what does that say? I mean, yes, they might be working on the big twenty five grand, fifty thousand dollar, eighty thousand dollar photo shoot. Mm -hmm. But maybe those only happen once or twice a year now. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. what do you do with the rest of your time? And a lot of these photographers, they don't have studios anymore. Um, so where do they get the opportunity to shoot? You know, I have to shoot a lot more and do a lot more shoots to make uh, my money and do the training and everything else, but I enjoy it. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm kept actively busy. I'm not sat at home wondering when the next shoot's going to come in um, because, because we've diversified and because we, we have the other, you know, these different revenue streams, I'm kept busy and, and that's the way I like it. And, you know, well, like and it sounds like you're, you're able to, to constantly sort of challenge yourself creatively and financially with trying to come up with new revenue streams, trying, you know, the workshops were, were kind of a new addition, um, moving to a streaming format from DVD, considering live shows. I mean, it sounds like you're, you're being challenged in the ways that you need to be challenged. Yes. I think as well, it sort of probably comes back to the business side is I've never been adverse to risk mm -hmm. in actual fact. I like it. Mm -hmm. Um, when we made the decision to move to this studio, and if I showed you the bill for this studio and how much money this cost, um, you, you'd fall off your chair. Um, <laughs> when, we, <laughs> when we did that, it was at the most financial challenging time mm -hmm. for our business. Yeah, we talked so, about it. And you still yeah. had the old studio that, 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 you were, that you were paying on. Do you know what? It's funny because it's, it's very it's, – that's ironic we're talking about that right now because today – we this morning we were just at the old studio clearing out the very final last things. No kidding. Because no the kidding. lease expires at the end of next week, and I will not be paying rent on that old studio. So yeah, there you go. From a business perspective, mm -hmm. I've been paying rent on the old studio for a year and a half while it's set sat almost empty, but with stuff in storage there. Right, right. Because we saw the opportunity to invest in this new studio to get us out of the doldrums of the business in the other place. But it was a huge financial risk that could have broken us, but it was based on a little bit of faith, but not being afraid of the risk element to it. That is a business type decision. You know, that's that, you know, that's what you have to do sometimes to realize success. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about taking risk unnecessarily or without careful thought or careful planning. But you have to not be afraid of saying, you know what, this could go tits up. Um, <laughs> you <Right>. know, <laughs> don't think you, I'm not leaving that in because I am. <laughs> you, 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 you have you, you have to do that, and right. um, 
But anyway, let's what was your let's go back to your question, sir. I've kind of lost it then, I think. But, no, that's um, that, that was that's great. Okay. That's right. great. Good. You know, I mean it's I, I think that that yours is a unique story to tell. Um because you've 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 done some things out of necessity, you've done some things out of choice, and you got to a point where it 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 very possibly could have all gone away. Absolutely. I mean, we you know we talked about it several times where you know it was like mm, you know, we're, well, yeah, we're yeah. kind of looking at your watch, going you know we've got a it couple weeks left. It yeah. was close. It's close to the edge because we 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 you know, because of the risk element and the financial outlay, mm -hmm. um, it, it, it was close to the edge. But, you know, I did kind of still feel confident that we'd turn it around and, you know, that the, 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 the risks we were taking were the right decisions. Um, were Tim and John always on the same page with you? Yes. Generally, yeah. we, we, you know, I can't make these decisions without them. Sure. Um, they own part of the company. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and, you know, so we discussed this. Um, fortunately they trust in my judgment and I trust in theirs and, and, and John who, you know, works on the, uh, marketing side of the business, online marketing and, and analytics, that sort of thing. Um, uh, um, Tim works on the create creative side of business, if you like on the, the look and the feel, the design of things, mm -hmm. you know, we have to trust each other's ability in our understanding of the marketplace and where we think, we can go with it and what we can do. One thing I can tell you, we kind of forced our own decision to take the bigger risk because if we didn't take the risk, we were going to fail anyway. Mm -hmm. So why because, not? What was there to lose at that point? Exactly. Yeah. We would have just lost more money. What, what, what was there to lose? There was more money to lose, okay? Mm -hmm. Because we had, to, it, we had to take our money, our business savings, if you like, reinvest it, and we could have lost it all. But we would have lost any, we would have had to pretty much shut down if we'd continue to try and operate from that old studio. Mm -hmm. So we needed to move into this bigger premises to give us the facilities to film more quickly, to operate more quickly, to produce uh, better work and have the multiple shooting areas. And then also for the workshops and the live shows and things that we've got, you know, coming up. If we were not able to implement those new revenue streams, we would have been destined for failure. So it was just a question of two choice. We're going to fail. We stay as we are, or we could fail even bigger. Yeah. Um, but fortunately, we had confidence that we also had confidence that um, it would work. Mm -hmm. It was a question of timing and how quickly we, we could get things up and running and moving. Right. And um, when you're only a small team of six people, it's a lot harder. You know, we're not one of those huge uh, I won't mention the name, but one of those huge live online companies with 200 staff and yeah, millions yeah. of dollars of investment. Those, we, those live creative companies? Yeah, those type of companies. <laughs> you know, and, and, and we're, we're not one of those companies that have got other people's money right. to play with. Yeah, you uh, feel it. Every yeah, level. We, yeah, we feel it. And it's our money. Yeah. It's, our, it's, 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 it's our money, my, myself and my director's money, that we were risking our own personal money. But you know what? I prefer it. I prefer it. We, we're more responsible for it. We well, and we you're are, beholden to no one. Exactly. Absolutely. And, yeah. and you know whether those live creative companies succeed going forwards in the future when the money runs out, or their whether their business model works, or what I don't know. Right. But isn't it interesting that we are able to deliver a similar 
business model uh, with live broadcast and everything else very, very soon from this new space. And we do it without millions of dollars of investment. Mm -hmm. But we are a different business. That We are a business that runs, if you like, or, or, or uh, trades on my personality as a presenter and as a trainer. Mm -hmm. If you like me, you will learn well from me. A lot of people don't like me. Right. That's fine. But for the ones that that like what I do and like what I work, we trade off of who I am and, and sure. the way that I teach. And fortunately, a, a lot of the companies that I respect and work for, like Broncolor and Hasselblad, they like the way we train and the way we teach. And that's why they use, uh, use us to do it for them as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would 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 young Carl, would young reportage photographer Carl, knowing what what you know now, would you still do it if you if you had to do it again? I left reportage. Photography. Right, but it, would would you have taken this same path to get where you are now and yeah, but, followed photography? Yeah, but think about it. Right, Let, let's just go back there a second. I left reportage photography because I couldn't make any money. So I made a business decision as a photographer. If I wanted to continue operating in something I loved, and I loved reportage photography, but I was working, you know, job to job, freelancing and spending every last bit of money that I earned on the last project, spending it on the next bit, you know. So um, then I decided to move to some, an area that interested me, that I felt was more uh, lucrative. And it was probably easier to make money in commercial photography then than it is now mm -hmm. um, because there's obviously more people trying to do it now. Would I, would I do it all again is what you're asking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Knowing what you know now, knowing how, how, how some of the trade-offs would affect you creatively, monetarily, emotionally, mm -hmm. your family. Yeah. Has it, I has it been worth it? It's definitely been worth it. If you say, if, if I went back in time and would I do it all again now, would I do it all again? Yes. But would I do it all again if I was starting now? Not necessarily, because it's different now mm -hmm. to what it was when I started. Mm -hmm. the, the process of making it a success is the same, but the market has changed. You know, digital changed that. The knowledge level changed. You know, shooting on film and using light meters and shooting Polaroids and the way you dealt with the process of photography has changed dramatically. And would I, would I, would I do it now? I don't know. I love what I do. Uh, but I'm very thankful that the training side of the business came along because it actually, um, helped support the, 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 uh, you know, my photography as a business overall dramatically, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. especially when, you know, we started the training in 2008 which is exactly when the credit crunch happened. And I, there was a downturn in commercial photography because of that. And actually, we had more free time available to then concentrate on developing this training. If that credit crunch had never happened, we might never have got round to bothering getting that training side of the business running because I would have been too busy on the commercial photography. So in, in, in some ways, the credit crunch was uh, a blessing for the training business because it forced us to do something with that, which has then led to the success of that, which has helped support my overall business and revenue, um, you know, in a way that, that, that it wouldn't have. And I also became inspired by photography again, because I was able to shoot pictures that I wanted to shoot, or it allowed me to develop more creative 
um, images because I was deciding to come up with the concepts or try new things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I would do it all again if I was put back in time to where it was when it started because I've had a fantastic life from photography. You know, I would not change anything. If you would like to see some of Carl's commercial work, head over to carltaylorportfolio.com. That's K-A-R-L-T-A-Y-L-O-R portfolio.com. And if you would like more information on Carl's workshops or his training programs, head over to carltaylorphotography.com. Uh, you can follow Carl on Instagram and Facebook at Carl Taylor Photography. And you can also find a ton of free photography tips and tutorials on his YouTube channel. If you're enjoying Process Driven, please subscribe on iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. And if you'd like to support the show, head over to jeffreysadoris.com. That's J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-S-A-D-D-O-R-I-S.com and click the support the show button. And please help me spread the word about Process Driven by sharing it on your various social media streams or by leaving a review or a rating on iTunes. You can follow me on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook at Jeffrey Sidoris, or you can subscribe to my mostly weekly newsletter, which is called Iterations, and that's available at jeffreysidoris.com. And as always, thank you very much for listening, and I'll talk to you on the next one.